This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 25th of August 2021. And Norman, one of the catchphrases of the last week or two has been the Doherty model, the Doherty report. It's our roadmap towards COVID freedom, supposedly. It's had a lot of media coverage, a lot of people talking about it, but perhaps not as many of those people have fully read the report or really kind of understood what assumptions it's based on. So let's just recap on what the Doherty model does and doesn't take into consideration. Yep, and I'm going to simplify it and no doubt we'll get shot down in flames as a result of doing so. But any model's got to make assumptions, otherwise you just can't start you, know, you just can't start the whole process. And there are various assumptions made in in this model, as there are with with other models as well. And it has to be said that whilst there are critics of the Doherty model, essentially it comes to conclusions that other people have come to too. And um, before I get to some of the basics in it, the big misunderstanding of the Doherty modelling, unless something's changed overnight, is that it's really quite restrictive. There's no freedom day in the, uh, in the, Do- in the Doherty modelling. It assumes a national picture in terms of cases, but acknowledges that there are significant regional variations in how things are done in terms of vaccination rollout, in terms of the ability to control outbreaks and so on. But the, not, the model doesn't fully take that into account. So it, it, it really simplifies on a, on a national level. And of course, the audience and the paymaster for the Doherty model was indeed the national cabinet and the national government. Rather than the general population. Yeah. So let's look at some of the the assumptions here. So in terms of the virus, they talk about something called the transmission potential. And that's kind of like the the effective reproduction number. It's not the untrammeled spread of say the delta variant which is between somewhere between 6 and 8 people from one from one person. It's when you've put all the, the all the stuff in place including vaccination, what's the transmission potential of of the virus and how do you get it down to one or below? And the variables that count here are the obviously the infectiousness of the virus but they've assumed the delta. Um, it's the efficiency of what's called now the TTIQ. So that's your test, trace, isolate and quarantine. So a lot of that, a lot of it depends on the contact tracing system, how much, how many people are coming forward for testing and also the bundles of public health measures that you put together to control an outbreak. The other thing that they talk about is the vaccine effectiveness and the vaccine rollout and in what age groups according to the transmission potential and the potential for ill health. So there's a lot of variables in there that could affect the the outcome. So what you've heard over the last few days is a discussion about case numbers. And it's true that if you look at the graphs in the uh, in the Doherty model, at least in the 10th of August version of it, then you see that the, a lot of the assumptions are based on quite small case numbers, like 30 on a national basis, really quite small case numbers. And the assumption is, though, that our contact tracing system will be quite good up to quite high numbers and still hold, hold the fort. And we had uh, Alan Saul on the health report a couple of nights ago from the Burnett Institute, who's a modeler himself and a vaccinologist. And the point that he was making was that if you look at the Doherty model, even at 80% coverage, 
you've still got potentially 30% of your time spent in quite severe lockdowns because as case numbers rise, the efficiency of your contact tracing goes down. Vaccination counts. The control of the pandemic via, the va- via vaccination counts and makes a big difference. It makes a bigger difference the more vaccinated you are. But it's a combination of the measures, and you've heard people talking about this, that, is that we're not necessarily ever going to get to herd immunity with Delta. There's still some measures you've got to have in place. And if you look at the model, if contact tracing effectiveness goes down, then you've got a problem with control even at 80%. And in the Doherty model, even at 80%, you could actually go into severe lockdowns for a significant percentage of the time. Now, to give you an example of how contact tracing is affected if you get up to quite large numbers, you can get quite a significant reduction in effective contact tracing at, a, at say, 100 cases a day. In the UK, at thousands of cases a day, they only contacted two-thirds of people and they only quarantined one in five people effectively. Then if you add to that the fact that asymptomatic infection occurs, and with Delta, it may occur more often because you're producing such a high viral load, so you're not, you don't know that you're spreading the virus and you're not getting tested until you're symptomatic, and that's more likely to spread before you're symptomatic in the Delta is the theory, then you create an additional problem for contact tracers. And of course, in Victoria over the last few days, they've had a problem with people turning up late for testing. So even though they're symptomatic, they're still turning up late, and you've got a problem with compliance as well. So all those things work together. And even in the Doherty model, you do not move beyond significant lockdowns from time to time, even at 80%. So this is a complicated story, which has been misunderstood. So then it does boil down to what you're prepared to tolerate in terms of numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and people who are seriously ill and end up in hospital and, 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 and end up dying. And of course, the Doherty model does predict that. But remember, the Doherty model does not have a freedom day. It doesn't have a day where suddenly sunlight dawns on Australia and we're all back to living normally. There are restrictions in place, and it's a very slow process. It's not a fast process. So what does that mean then for Australia, especially with New South Wales dealing with its high case numbers? Like That's the context that a lot of people have been talking about the Doherty modelling in reference to. Does it give us any clear idea? So you've heard the debate about case numbers over the last couple of days. Professor Sharon Loon, who directs the, uh, the Doherty Institute, has been talking about how when you look at the case numbers, if they get beyond 30 and they get to large numbers, it pushes the date out in terms of you, you achieve control a bit, a bit later. But Alan Saul would argue that, in fact, it's more serious than that because some of the fundamental assumptions in the Doherty model start to fall apart at large case numbers. And it's particularly... Well, it's this TTIQ, it's this contact tracing system, which really is holding the fort. Now, it's holding the fort in New South Wales. It's holding numbers at seven or 800 at the moment, and they would be in their thousands by now if you didn't have a contact tracing system. Let me just talk now about the real world. And the real world is that in Israel, with 80% immunisation, they've got a real surge on with Delta. And hospitalizations are tracking the surge so that hospitalizations are going up in line. That graph is quite tight. So hospitalizations are going up. And yes, 
they're not seeing the rate of deaths that they were seeing and the rate of ICU admissions that they were seeing before. That's gone down. But, it's, but essentially, the, graphs, the two graphs are going up. Hospitalizations and infections are going up at the same rate. And that's because, they say, they're seeing waning vaccine immunity. And the Doherty model assumes probably longer immunity to the vaccines than may actually happen. Whereas in Britain, you've got decoupling. And what I mean by decoupling is you've got a surge, maybe 30,000 cases a day of the Delta virus, but the graph of hospitalizations is much lower. It's not tracking according to the surge. And that's probably a combination of the fact that they've had Astra, where the immunity probably lasts a bit longer, and they've come to the party later than Israel in terms of immunization, and you've got a more immune elderly population. So a lot of variables, and that's the real world. And whether or not what we achieve in our real world is still to be seen. Well, yesterday, New South Wales passed the magical 6 million vaccine milestone, which is an incredible effort. The the vaccine rollout rate has accelerated really dramatically in the last month or so, which is really exciting to see. Six million vaccines was a milestone that was sort of heralded by the government earlier that it would be sort of a a turning point in terms of restrictions. Is that likely to happen? Well, it's nowhere in the Doherty modelling. So this is just something that's been invented by the New South Wales government, presumably to provide a bit of incentive to actually go out and get immunised. But you won't find really anywhere in the Doherty modelling. You'll find you'll find estimates of of what happens to this transmission potential of the virus at various levels of immunisation. But it is affected by the case numbers and the Doherty modelling does not deal with large case numbers very well to be able to understand that. So 6 million is nowhere near 70%. And remember, at 70%, there's not much opening up in the Doherty model. I mean, that's probably the biggest misconception is that somehow things really open up. It's just that you can modulate your activities more, probably bring in more bundles of public health measures like rapid antigen testing, like better ventilation and things like that, which are not necessarily in the model, but you could add those to the mix and help open up to some extent. But the backdrop to all these conversations is that people are just feeling so incredibly tired of being locked up interminably and that they're looking for some kind of go, like, you know, tell me what I need to do to help end this lockdown and I mean millions of people are turning out to get vaccinated at what stage does does that start to pay off? Could New South Wales have peaked? Um, we will know the case of case numbers and we'll know that over the next two, three, four days. So the things that we can do, we can stay at home, we can socially distance, we can follow the rules, we can wear masks outside, we can do all those things and if we do them strictly enough We will actually turn the corner and with vaccination, we'll turn the corner sooner than we would without vaccination. And maybe we're already seeing that. But to relax restrictions significantly would be to relax those public health measures. And that's what's holding the control. The vaccine is just helping a little bit at the moment. And as each percentage point goes up of fully vaccinated people, it will help a bit more. But the exact point at which you can say, We're open fully for business. Well, it doesn't really tell you that in the Doherty report. Uh, They don't really predict too far out into the future. 
Well, there was a lot to get through in there today, Norman, but that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. If you've got any questions, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. 